Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Cristiano Ronaldo to my Lionel Messi. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm uncomfortably cold. Um, it's it's not nice at the moment, but at least we have a nice warm World Cup to keep us going in between these championship fixtures, I think. Yeah, kind of. I mean, there's two games left at the time of recording. Mm. Actually, three if you count the the third place playoff, which it continues to be the most pointless game in all yeah. of football. I don't know why we still do it. I don't. What does it accomplish? It's. I guess it's. Um, I don't know. It's just a bit of a lip service, isn't it? It's a an acknowledgement of these two being these two uh, you know, teams being the third and fourth best. I don't know. It, it really is. It's just a charity game. It's it's the community shield, but without the charity component to it, isn't it? Imagine in the playoffs if they got the two losers of the oh two gosh. legs to play each other for the third place. It would just, like, there'd be outrage. So the fact that we still do this third place playoff in the World Cup continues to blow my mind, really, Justin. What I would prefer to see is some weird format, like Cuppies or Wembley. I don't know, it's a regional way of terming it, isn't it? However people call that game, but single Cuppies, double Cuppies, um, or, or pairs. I don't know how to describe it in other regions. Um, or Red Arse or Stingers, again, different dialects. But just some weird random game to, as the third place playoff would be the best best format, I think. Yeah, I'd, I'd be up for watching Red Arse happen, I think. I think that'd be great yeah. entertainment for all involved. Um, I thought everyone called it cuppies, but I, I'm willing to be corrected on that. But here we are. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to look ahead to some of the games coming up this weekend in the championship. But first, we're going to talk about Sunderland v West Brom, which happened on Monday night. A cracking game as well in the championship. We'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days and finish off with Diddy or Didn't He right at the end. And we begin this show with... An apology. And that apology is directed to all Cardiff and Stoke fans because we completely forgot to talk about that game in Sunday's episode. It just slipped my mind. And we were saying at the end of the show, God, this episode has been a short one. <laughs> Maybe this would explain why, Justin. Yeah, I, I mean, it took me a good 24 hours and a full listen of the episode to realise there's something missing from it. And it and there's a couple of responses as well that sort of twig made me twig as well. So yeah, it's it's, it's an excessive apology because um, I didn't pick up on it either. Um, you know, I'm I'm usually the the smart one. I think many many listeners may describe me as hopefully. <laughs> I don't know where this has come from, um, but yeah, it must say a lot about that game that we just completely forgot to mention it. But um, yeah, apologies to Cardiff and Stoke fans. We promise that we'll give a full detailed review of your game coming up this weekend well each of your games coming up this weekend hopefully they're not nil nils god forbid yeah. <laughs> anyway let's talk about the game from monday night west brom came from behind to beat sunderland 2-1 what did you make of this one justin very much your typical game of two halves wasn't it yeah and i i, I know i don't want to sort of lean on it too much but i do think the the weather sort of played into it a little bit it was a freezing night and it just it felt like um yeah the atmosphere was a little bit flat it was a monday night kickoff Obviously, in the middle of the uh, uh, you know uh, of the World Cup campaign as well, it just felt like one of those games that I think supporters were just waiting for something to happen, and um, I, I felt like Sunderland didn't really build upon their their goodish first half, um, and West Brom didn't really get going until until Tom Rodgers came on. So yeah, it was a, it was a strange old game, um, but one that I think West Brom will look at and go, 
we'd have lost that eight weeks ago. We'd have definitely lost that eight weeks ago. Um, and then Sunderland will look upon it and go, yeah, well, we've got opportunities to build on, on, on key moments and we don't do it often enough, which is probably come to expect with a Sunderland side that has doing its average age in the division. I rewatched this game on West Brom Fan TV where the co-commentator, I don't know who it was, said, look at the shape. This is great shape from West Brom. <laughs> Literally, less than a couple of seconds later, they got undone by a 1-2. Connor Townsend clatters into Ahmad Diallo to give away a clumsy penalty. That did make me chuckle. Uh, Jed Wallace, excellent here. I thought Okai Yakuzlu was great in the middle of the park too. But the headline of this game was the return of Daryl DK. Only his second appearance since July, of course, he only made a couple of appearances last season after joining in January, but he's been ravaged by injuries and his return is incredibly exciting. I imagine plenty of West Brom fans have been thinking, what on earth did we spend £7 million on? And DK's even said himself that he's been wondering whether he'll be the same player again. Three appearances in nearly a year, mm. not many, is it? But if he gets back to the player we saw for Barnsley, then he could score a ludicrous amount of goals. West Brom haven't been struggling to create chances, have they? That's not been a problem at all. It's just about having someone to put them away. And for Barnsley, DK was averaging a goal every four shots. Add in the fact he's a tank with pace and power. You talk about missing pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. DK might be just that for West Brom, as long as he stays fit, fingers crossed, touch wood. Well, that's it, isn't it? It's, it's about him staying fit. And if he can stay fit, he's, he's good for at least 14, 15 goals a season. And if you add that into the West Brom team um, with their ability under Carlos Corbrand to reduce teams to not too much, then they're going to start picking up more results. It's, it's going to be absolutely massive. They need a forward who can just put away chances because, I mean, this season, last season, we've been saying the same thing with West Brom is they create an abundance of chances, but they don't put them away. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to almost have to repeat yourself week on week on week. Um, but with Daryl DK into that mix, um, I think you've, there's a forward there, as you say, if he stays fit, who's got the capabilities to be clinical. He's got the capabilities to find himself in the good area and score different types of goals. The goal he scored against Sunderland was a was a hung cross, wasn't it? It was a high cross. He got, he got up in the air and he headed it down into the corner. It was a really, really good header. And it's not a goal that we've seen often with, with West Brom. Obviously, Colin Grant's not that type of player. We've seen a lot of um, sort of one-touch, two-touch football in around the box. But just getting the ball into the box for Daryl DK, he gives them a different way of attacking. He's, he's much better at other things as well. But he's got that physical presence, which they've lacked. Yeah, absolutely. What a lovely goal by Tom Rogic with the outside of his foot, by the way. It didn't look like anything spectacular at first. Then you see the replay and you realise it's the most nonchalant Traveller ever scored. <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, but this win has seen West Brom properly leapfrog up the table. They've gone from the relegation zone to 17th. And I'm looking at the table, eight points off the top six with a game in hand on most. What are you thinking, JP? Consistency is difficult to uh, to generate in the championship. Um, I think that's the only thing that might make me hesitate with West Brom. Um, but I think if Carlos Corbran can have a similar effect that Brian McDermott had at Reading 10 years ago, that um, Jekanovic had at Fulham and Dean Smith had at Aston Villa, then I don't see why not. Um, because they've got the squad to do it. It's just whether or not they've got the, the mentality and capability to do it. Because we've seen this West Brom have good spells over the past 18 months in the championship. And then they drop off quite quickly. Um, so it's just about maintaining that consistency, which is the hardest thing to do. Which is why the good teams are the good teams. And the 
normal teams are just the average teams, aren't they? Um, so if Carlos Corbran can can maintain that consistency, um, maintain sort of that defensive solidity and that cracking shape as West Brom fan TV um, would would allude to, um, then yeah, they've got every every chance because they've got match winners. They've got Wallace. They've got DK if he stays fit. They got. I mean, we've seen Rogic. Goodness me, that was a beautiful goal, which I don't think you've given enough credit for. But they've got players who can turn games. Um, and I think that's a massive, massive um, plus for them. And if if they've got them on form, they will they will stay consistent. The thing is with the championship this season, the league table is wide open, isn't it? You've got the automatic promotion race, which is kind of becoming a race of its own. But then the race for the top six is well and truly open. You've got basically at least two places right now which are well up for grabs. For me, I think Middlesbrough will that are well on course to get one of them. But the other place, it's anyone's at the moment mm. because no one's really taken it in their grasp, are they? When a team looks like it may be them, they start to flounder and you know lose consistency, which is why West Brom could very easily get this place. You look at what Steve Cooper did last season. That was a miraculous achievement. And I don't want to dampen West Brom's achievement if they were to get in the top six but because the championship's so compact this season that I I think it would only take I say only if a team won you know eight games out of ten then you'd be right up there wouldn't you Um, so West Brom have got every chance of getting that place I mean in terms of squad they've got one of the best squads in the division man for man and now they've got Davo DK back fit defensive solidarity has not been a problem all season if you look at the underlying data they've actually been very solid all season so you add in all these variables and I think West Brom will definitely be eyeing up that top six place and be thinking yeah that's well within our grasp Uh, but let's talk Sunderland a frustrating game for them always frustrating to lose after being a goal ahead anyway but Alex Pritchard could and maybe should have doubled their lead shortly after scoring the first goal if it wasn't for an unbelievable save by Alex Palmer Uh, they also had a penalty shout turned down less than a minute before West Brom scored the winner no shame in losing though because West Brom man for man are simply a better team than Sunderland aren't they they're certainly going in the right direction now under Carlos Corbran and there were definitely positives to take away from this game for Tony Mowbray one of those positives is that man again Ahmad Diallo who is such an exciting player to watch Justin he's a, he's a lovely lovely player and I think he is thriving at Sunderland and I think he needs to stay there for the season I hope he does because the only reason why I say that is because Parent clubs, um, Premier League clubs, are always tempted to recall them and send them to a, a, a team that are competing higher in the table. But actually, what the sort of form Diallo's showcasing now is 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 fantastic. We saw Harvey Elliott thrive under Tony Mowbray, and I just think Diallo's going to do the same. He's going to go from strength to strength uh, under him. And I mean, he made the goal himself with the with the being fouled for the penalty, and his, his penalty was was coolly tucked away. And I think that goes a long way. And they they've just got. Just having him as an option, as an attacking option, along with Pritchard, they've got two really good technically gifted players in that final third. And then you mix in the likes of Ross Stewart and Alice Sims. It's just a really nice front four to have, whether that be Jack Clark or Patrick Roberts filling the other other position or, or Elliot Embleton as well. Um, so they're in a really good position having him. And I just hope he, he can stay he can stay informed because, as you say, he's a, he's a lovely player to watch. Yeah, definitely. Final thing of note on this game, Ross Stewart was expected to make his long-awaited return for the Black Cats, but apparently felt a twinge on his thigh injury, but it seems like he is. 
possibly. Maybe that's got something to do with it. But it seems like he is close to finally making a comeback, which will be very exciting for Sunderland. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll look ahead to some of the games coming up in the Championship this weekend. back to the second tier podcast so in each preview episode of the second tier Justin and I each pick a team we think is guaranteed to win in the championship this coming weekend and we also pick the team we think will be the biggest surprise winner we should probably have kept track of these as the season's mm. gone on really shouldn't we see who is the bigger championship expert but it's a bit late for that now at this point uh, Justin who do you think is guaranteed to win in the championship this weekend when I sent this across, I was quite confident, but just looking into it a little bit more, I'm sort of maybe more sitting on the fence, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go with Preston to beat QPR. Um, and I think if I ignore Preston's home form and the p- potential manage- new manager bounce for QPR and just look at uh, you know, squad um, personnel availability for QPR, I'm, I'm thinking it might be a tight game, but Preston is certainly going to edge it. Um, and I think just that performance against Blackburn last weekend showcased to me exactly the qualities that Preston have got under Ryan Lowe. They create chances. They haven't had the the rub of the green with the ball falling in the right areas at times or falling to the right person or player. Um, and, and and it did that against and they did that against Blackburn. They got the rub of the green at times with the goals that they scored. Not to say that they didn't deserve them. They did, absolutely did. But sometimes, you know, with the Ben Woodburn goal, for example, just having a player striving through the middle of the park um, with a lovely weighted pass from Ledson, it's not always come off for Preston this season, and I think that if they can find that form and continue to roll with it, and I, I do see, I do think that will, they'll continue to pick up points. Um, their home form is isn't great; they're twentieth in the championship for the home record. It's not ideal, um, but I think if we consider that we've almost reset the season, I think that's going to play a big part. If I go to QPR, um, I think Chris has got a fair bit to do to to get them back into form. I think he's going to build from a solid base. Um, which means the attack's going to suffer a little bit. Noel Ice chair isn't ideal, obviously, he's still at the World Cup. Um, Stefan Janssen might be missing as well for injury. They missed him last weekend. And I just think that's going to play into Preston's hands a little bit. My most likely winner in the Championship this weekend is Watford to win away at Huddersfield. I think as a general rule for doing our previews, we might have to introduce a ban on picking whoever is playing Huddersfield <laughs> because it's, it's just too easy, really, isn't it? I don't think I need to repeat myself too much because... We've spoken about it at length on numerous occasions now, but they're deservedly bottom of the table. Justin Peach called them the worst team he's seen going forwards in a long time. In Sunday's episode, it's very hard to disagree. Watford are simply a much better side than Huddersfield and should be looking to get three points here, especially if they want to keep alive their chances of going up automatically. I can't see Huddersfield scoring. That's in large part because of their own struggles, but also because Watford are a solid side, despite their struggles at numerous stages of this season they have managed to stay solid for the most part one concern I do have is the mounting injury problems Hamza Chowdhury is the latest addition to the treatment room alongside a growing number of players however the expected return of Ishmael Assar will be very much welcomed especially because Watford haven't looked the most free-flowing going forwards in the last couple of games, which he hasn't started so his return will be a huge huge boost for West Brom and at the end of the day, they should score more goals than Huddersfield uh, in this game. So, therefore, I, I'm fully expecting a Huddersfield, uh, uh, w- a Watford win this coming weekend. Justin, would you agree? 
I think I would. Um, I think it's quite easy to suggest that any team that plays Huddersfield, they're at least going to draw because Huddersfield just aren't going to score unless they can get one from a set piece. They're just not going to score. And I, I remember reading an article in The Guardian years ago um, about the probabilities of scoring from set pieces. I think 5% of all set pieces end up in goals uh, in, in football in, in, the, in, in England or, or in the UK, I should say. So it just gives you a, a flavour of the probability of um, Huddersfield scoring. It might be good from set pieces or more effective, but um, they're coming up against a, a relatively organised Watford team. Um, they don't inspire too much at times going forwards, but they're a stronger side. They've got stronger individuals and Bitch is taking them in the right direction. So I just can't see anything other than a Watford result at the very least. Yep, I completely agree. Biggest surprise win for me this coming weekend is Millwall to win away at Luton on Sunday. Now, Millwall have hit a bit of a soft patch, one win in six, but they haven't been bad in this run. In fact, I won't do it, but if you go through those six games, then they definitely deserve more than just the one win in that time. The thing that's really letting them down is not putting their chances away. They've failed to score in four of their last six. And this is why we talk about them badly needing a striker in January, needing a striker more than any other club in the championship, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I don't think all will be right in the world until Millwall do find this striker. The pounds will continue to plummet. Global warming will continue to get worse. The chaos in the royal family will carry on until Millwall sign a good striker in January. And if they do, all will be right in the world again. But let's keep our eyes fixed on this weekend for now. If Millwall keep playing as well as they have done, chances will continue to fall their way and results will come. Because by the law of averages, as much as you desperately need a striker, you should score enough goals if you continue to create good enough chances. So that's why I fancy Millwall. And as for Luton, I'm not particularly feeling downbeat on them as a side right now. I just think it could take time for Rob Edwards to get this team playing and in a way that gets results. And there'll be a few bumps along the way, I reckon. They themselves have only one win in seven, so not in the best form either. So I'm going for Millwall to win away at Luton on Sunday as my big surprise win in the Championship this weekend. Yes, it's a good one. I, I never really um, linked the the fact that world hunger still exists while Luton don't, uh, while Millwall don't have a, a clinical strike. And I think actually maybe we'll you know, see some good in the world once once that's Well, all, all I'm saying, Justin, is I think the world was a much better place when Steve Morrison was playing up front for Millwall. So that's a good point. Yeah. Make of that what you will. But carry on. What's yeah, a, what's your biggest surprise win? <laughs> um, well, I mean, speaking of. Um, not being clinical in front of goal. I've gone with Swansea to beat Coventry. Um, now, I think the surprise here maybe comes from the fact that Coventry have been in such good form. I know they lost last weekend to, to Reading. Maybe should have come away with at least a draw from that game. Um, and as well as that, the defensive record is incredibly efficient. And obviously, they're at home as well. But I, I, I'm swinging with Swansea because of their ability to create chances, um, because of their newfound threat from set pieces they were so so active last weekend against Norwich in terms of creating chances from set pieces I think they might find a little bit of joy here against Coventry as well now Swansea aren't having a shortage of, of chance creation they've just got a misfiring Joel Pirro I mean he had a couple of big chances at the weekend um, and he's, he's underperforming massively when it comes to actually being in front of goal as well obviously he's not scoring goals but he's still getting those chances he's still being in the, the right areas and I think that shows that he's just, I mean, he's just not informed. He's just not got the confidence in, in front of goal when it comes to execution. But he's still finding himself in, in, in good positions. 
they got Jamie Patterson coming back in as well. I know he, he missed a good chance as well last weekend, but he just adds a different dimension to that final third. And I think Coventry playing catch-up again. They're playing catch-up again. They had a bit of a disrupted couple of weeks. Um, I know the, the off-the-field stuff is there, but in terms of on the pitch, they've had a couple of injuries mount up. And I mentioned at the uh, in the episode at the weekend that um, they had to cancel a friendly with Olympiacos, I think it was because of a lack of a lack of players. So I think they're going to be playing catch-up. So I think it's going to be a sluggish start once again for them before they get going um, towards the end of December. So I think Swansea to beat uh, Coventry. And the main surprise there is Swansea actually putting their chances away. Hopefully they start putting their chances <laughs> away because they're another team who desperately need to find the back of the net because it's been rather, rather frustrating watching Swansea create all these abundance of chances and not putting them away recently. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Neil Critchley is now being confirmed as the new head coach of QPR. They announced it less than an hour after Sunday's podcast came out. It's honestly like they do it on purpose, Justin. Coventry have agreed to carry on playing at the CBS Arena until the end of the season. The news comes after the club were issued with an eviction notice by the new owners of the stadium, Fraser's Group, which is owned by Mike Ashley. Coventry say talks are now underway for an agreement so that they can continue playing games there beyond this season and have said an statement. We now look forward to establishing a constructive working relationship with Fraser's Group. And for the sake of all parties, let's hope there is an agreement, Justin. Well, fingers crossed. Um, I think now they've got this buffer until the end of the season, it obviously gives them a chance to establish a relationship. Obviously, new owners coming in for the stadium, uh, new agreement, etc. It's not got off to the right. It's not got off on the right foot. But I think having that agreement into the end of the season um, gives everybody a chance to just take a breath and um I guess just relax because it's been such a turbulent time for the club and obviously with the Doug King um, potential takeover in the pipeline as well I know that's still ongoing with the AFL approval and whatnot um, there's potentially much better times ahead for Coventry City but it's just about finding that agreement finding that middle ground with Fraser's group which I imagine will be difficult with Mike Ashley um, he's a businessman it happens but I think getting getting those um, getting those talks underway um, as soon as possible is a good sign. The important word in this Coventry statement is the word establishing mm-hmm. a constructive working relationship. That clearly means there isn't one there right now. And Coventry's previous statement addressing the eviction notice seemed to indicate that they weren't expecting that news at all and were actually quite peed off about it. So it could take a lot of kissing and making up before both parties have a construction, constructive working relationship, as they put it. As things stand, the local businessman Doug King is still trying to complete a takeover of the club. If I was in, I'd get in, hash out a deal that sees Coventry play at the arena for the next five years or so, and then crack on we're building this new stadium at the University of Warwick I don't know what the latest is with that but Coventry need a stadium and they can then guarantee their future in and it's always going to be rocky with a self-serving businessman owning their current ground isn't it so Mm. whatever the case the latest news is a positive step for the time being for Coventry but it'll be good to know what's happening five years down the line it's a long way away but I think fans will appreciate that the thing is though it's in Mike Ashley's best interest to have a football team playing in that stadium because concerts being played there. I mean, it's a good it's a good concert venue, um, but that's only going to happen in in the months between sort of May or April to September, where the the nights are a bit warmer. You can get away with having outdoor events. 
Um, so it's in it's in Mike Ashley's best interest to have a football club playing at their ground. So it'd be interesting to see what his strategy is in the long term because obviously, as you quite rightly said, it makes sense for Coventry to build their own stadium and not have to rely on being a tenant. Um, so it, it just it just raised a lot of questions as to what Mike Ashley wants to do in the future because if he doesn't have a football club playing there, they're losing out on revenue for eight months of the year, which is not good business sense, obviously. Well, that's why it doesn't make much sense for Mike Ashley to essentially piss off Coventry, does it? Yeah. Because now they'll be thinking, right, well, we can proper stiff this guy up in the long term by not having a football team playing there. So while he'll get income in the short term, in the long term, it could mean absolutely naff all. And he could have a stadium on his hands where every so often there's a concert happening, yeah. but there isn't anything else happening there. Because I, I don't know what's happening with Wasps now. Forgive me for not knowing, but I... I assume that's just done with now um, and then that's not very good for him but that's where the concern lies for me Justin that I imagine Mike Ashley knows this and he'll be trying to hash out a deal that sees Coventry playing at the arena for the fo- like longer than five years if you mm. see what I mean longer than it takes to build a stadium elsewhere um, and that's why I worry that after this season the problems with Coventry potentially being homeless may persist. Yeah, but I think this is it though. I think as a Coventry City fan, if you know that the end goal is potentially a new stadium, would you accept three years playing at Birmingham City or at Walsall, for example, you know, taking that taking that rough bump in the short term to, to ensure that you know that your football club's going to own a ground at the end of that period? Would you would you be willing to take that um, that, you know, that that option? I mean, as a supporter, I would be more inclined to go with that rather than having this cloud of uncertainty over my football club for the foreseeable. Yeah, it's very strange. You've got to consider mm. local businesses as well, which rely exactly. on fans being in Coventry, in Coventry games being in Coventry as well. So there's a lot of variables at stake, which is why it's going to be interesting to see yeah. what happens beyond this season but for now at least we know Coventry will be playing in Coventry. Elsewhere more than 1,800 fans were injured at Premier League and EFL games last season. The study by the Sports Ground Safety Authority found slips, trips and falls led to about a third of all injuries but 30% of causes are classed as not known. 155 people needed hospital treatments. Now a big congratulations to Argentina's Emmy Martinez on getting to the World Cup final he was playing for Reading in the Championship in just 2019 and I always feel like a proud father when I see former Championship players going on to great things, Justin. I think Emi Martinez owes Neil Mope a drink because he's the one that put Bert Leno out for a very long time with a bit of a naughty challenge, um, which meant Martinez got his chance in the Arsenal goal. Um, but he is a truly, truly good goalkeeper. And I remember I remember him playing for Wolves against Derby. Um, I think Derby won 4-2, but he was still a very good goalkeeper, um, despite conceding goals. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to see him playing. It's good to see any championship player playing in the World Cup, but to have, one, have a former one playing in the World Cup final for a Big, big nation is, yeah, it's quite something. He had quite a few loan spells, loads, didn't he? It wasn't loads. just Reading, but he, he had plenty of uh, spells all across the second tier. Uh, and we are recording this episode before the other semi-finals, so there's a chance Elias Chair might get to the final with Morocco, which would be rather amazing. Once having a current championship player Ooh. at a World Cup final, although he hasn't played at all, so it's not really the same, I suppose. Alternatively, if, if France gets to the final, I don't think there's any 
French players who are ex-championship that we should be congratulating Justin unless, I don't know, Olivier Giroud had a short loan spell at Doncaster, which we're completely forgetting about. I don't know, Steve Mandanda obviously used to play for Palace and I was surprised to see him in the France squad, but I mean, that's the, that's the only link I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, surely there isn't any, but might be wrong. Yeah, we'll leave that there. And finally, former Crystal Palace midfielder Neil Dans has been appointed as the new interim head coach of Macclesfield. His assistant is none other than ex-Sheffield United midfielder Mark Duffy. A very championship pairing, that, Justin. Yeah, it's, a, it's an FM appointment as well, isn't it? But it's, it's good, to see them, uh, good to see them make their steps into the managerial game. Um, and I'm sure they would do well, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Uh, I'd be like, I'd be interested to see how it played out because Mark Duffy is quite a character, and Neil Dans is a, I would say, he's a Championship legend. He's played a lot of games at Championship level, um, and probably gone under the radar. Both are got good shouts of being Championship legends in their own right. But best of luck to the both of them. Right now, it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess and Justin's to provide the players with the scores 69, 67, to Justin, which is not a great scoreline if you just impeach, considering I've got a game in hand. So, with that being said, Justin, I would like the first player, please. Matt Hill and Bolton Wanderers. I don't know Matt Hill's career at all. Um, yeah, why not? No, he didn't play for Bolton. I, pff, I can. Did, did he play for Preston? He played for Preston. That's it. That's all. Really. I know. Yeah, oh, okay. he's. I'm not. That, he, I, there's a few spots that come into my head when I think of Matt Hill. Okay, it's quite an obscure one, but there you go. Next one is Ivan Campo and Hall City. Uh, yes. No, he didn't. Am I thinking of Ipswich? He was at Bolton, and then I think he had a spell at Ipswich as well. Great it is Ipswich. I, yeah. I tell you what, the Ivan Campo one, I immediately thought he played for Hull. But Hull had JJ Acocha and I Ray thought he Carter. played for Hull. That's very weird. Yeah. I was very confident when I said yes. Next one. Tom Heaton and Cardiff City. Yeah. That's a, that's an obvious one. He got to the League Cup final with him, didn't he? I thought David Marshall was in goal for that. He was back up yeah. to David Marshall, which is why I thought I'd, I'd, I'd I'm get it. I'm pretty in sure there. Heaton was playing. One out of three. One out of three. John Mackin and Blackpool. Um, played a few games for Preston. I mean, he's a bit of a journeyman himself. My instinct says... No. You'd be correct. He did not play for Blackpool. Very nearly said yes then. Yeah, <laughs> Two I, out I, of four. I started to smirk when I said that one as well, which may have played it off, but I was actually just stretching. Anyway, next one is Alex Pearce and Norwich City. No. He had a loan spell in 2008. God. Made 11 appearances. Two out of five. <laughs> you've, you've equaled me now with 69-69 at the minute. Mm-hmm. What a great live, score. Live score update. <laughs> <Sweet>. <laughs> anyway. Ben Watson and West Brom. 
he, I think he did. He's a very West Brom kind of player. I think he did. He's a very West Brom kind of player. Yeah. How so? Look at him. <laughs> I don't. I um, it for risk of upsetting <laughs> Albion supporters, probably skirt past that one. You are correct. He had a loan spell in 2010 where he made seven appearances. <laughs> Three out of six. Next one, please. Rory Delap and Barnsley. Yeah. Confident. Yeah, he did that. That did happen. Okay. Six appearances on loan in 2013. Yeah, I, th- I think that was after he left Stoke. I think on loan from Stoke. Saying. On loan from Stoke, yeah. Th- this was after the throwing years. Mm-hmm. This is when his shoulders start to get a bit iffy. Yeah, it will, will happen to you, won't it? <laughs> Next Four one. out of seven. Mm-hmm. Next one. You ready? Please. Antoine Semenyo and Plymouth Argyle. Yes. No, he didn't. Four out of eight. Okay. This is good for me. This is great for me. Next one is Lloyd Dyer and Burnley. You have gone for some obscure players this These week. These are not My obscure players. Lord. Matt Hill was an incredible player. Ivan Campo. Everybody knows Ivan Campo. Tom Heaton was an easy one. John Mackins played a hell of a lot of games at championship level. So has Alex Pierce and Ben You have Watson. taken the standard down, and this is typical Justin wow. Peake's tactic. Wow, wow. Last I... year with the Craig Bryson pub quiz, no, 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 as no, no, soon no. as he started no, 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 looking no, no, no. like he was no, 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 no. about to lose quite comfortably, he brought out some absolute corkers of obscure championship players of years gone by who no right, one even right. remembers. The players themselves can't even remember their career. But Justin Peach manages to track them down on Wikipedia because he made one appearance for flipping Doncaster in 2010. And that's it. You're implying that Lloyd Dyer is not a legend at championship level. And I immediately wanted to say he is, for starters. And you do this, you do this when the going gets tough, when you feel the pressure instantly crank up, you go on the offensive, Ryan. Just keep in mind, I'm going to be... In fact, no, I'm not going to lower the standard of my players for next week because I don't want to lower myself to your standards. You gave me Timu Puki and Valencia a couple of weeks ago. Exactly. You're telling me Timu Puki's not a championship legend? He is a championship legend, but... It's the, it's the and Matt Hill is. Absolutely he is. Flipping How heck. dare you? What was the player again? Lloyd Dyer and Burnley Ryan. Lloyd Dyer is another one of those players who's... I can name three clubs. And I'm not even sure about one of them. Um, No. Yes, he did. He made three appearances in 2016. I can name so many clubs Lloyd Dyer played for. <laughs> Four out of nine. You're going to kick off now. Louis Nightanger and Sunderland. Yes. Are you sure? Louis Nightanger is a very droppable standard as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he made 11 princes on my own in 2006. Shocking, appalling tactics from Justin Peach. I this can't is, believe this. This is this is so Greece two thousand and four from you. No, 
No, it's not. No, because that was that was the definition of undeserved. Anyway. In the greatest of respect. But 72-69 is the score for the season now as <laughs> things stand after I got five. Why are you laughing? Because you're saying that through your teeth. And it's, um, it, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Louis Nyatanga is so far and away in terms of profile below any player I've picked for you this season. It, it doesn't matter. It's, it's did he or didn't he? These, these are players who have played in the championship. But it's I've about sportsmanship. It's about respect for the game, Justin. They've been playing did he or didn't he for eons upon eons now. And you are spitting on the greats of did he or didn't he. I'd like to... I'd like to apologise to listeners to for, for bearing witness. To Good, this it's about time tantrum. we should apologise to the tantrum. listeners. Let's end this shit show here. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday for a big roundup of all the games in the Championship this weekend, as well as all the news that happens over the coming days. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for putting up with this show. <laughs>